Hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us today on episode nine of our MMM podcast, Music is Medicine, Ask the Expert. Before we get into our interview with our special guest, let me first introduce who we are. MMM stands for Music Men's Minds, a nonprofit organization that began seven years ago. Founded by Carol Rosenstein and her late husband, Erwin Rosenstein, Music Men's Minds' mission is to serve seniors suffering from neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, stroke, traumatic brain injuries, and PTSD. The story begins with Carol. Her husband, Erwin, fell into the clutches of Parkinson's. Erwin's decline due to this neurodegenerative disease was steep, but one thing kept the joy alive through the late stages of Erwin's life, music. Erwin would light up at the piano and it seemed as if the disease was gone, if only for a moment. This is when Carol realized music is medicine. Thus, Music Men's Minds was born. Enjoy episode nine with Dr. Tomeno. So Dr. Tomeno, can you just give us a brief introduction to um, the various roles you are currently playing in your research? Sure. Well, I am uh, the executive director and founder of the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function, which was founded in 1995. I've been a music therapist for 43 years and have headed um, the music therapy program at my original site at Beth Abraham Hospital, and also um, now have moved the institute to the to Wartburg, which is a community senior care community in Mount Vernon, New York. I also am adjunct faculty at Lehman College, which is part of the City University of New York, and I've been both principal investigator as well as co-investigator on many many research studies over the years. Uh, can you just give us a brief overview of the general thrust of your research? Sure, well, my, my work mainly concerns the use of music to help people with neurologic conditions. And that could be um, people who have neurocognitive deficits like, like Alzheimer's disease. It could be related to movement uh, problems like Parkinson's, uh, communication problems post-stroke, like aphasia, um, also articulation, other kinds of motor speech problems related to uh, brain injury. I also, and I just finished a few minutes ago, uh, a, a program for veterans who have PTSD. So very, my work all these years ha has been at the intersection of neuroscience and, mu and clinical music therapy to advance both our knowledge of how music affects the brain, but also to use that knowledge and understanding to advance the practice of music therapy. What was it that inspired you to go into this line of research? Well, I, um, I was in college in the 70s as a pre-med student. And my, my goal was always to become a medical doctor ever since I was a little, little kid. Um, but I also play musical instruments and play, picked up trumpet in high school. And when I was in college, I wanted to study trumpet as well, just to get better at it. But I had to become a music major. So by my second year of college, I was double majoring in science and music and realized I was torn between the two fields. Uh, eventually, uh, before I graduated, found out about the field of music therapy, which back in the 70s was still you know, had been around since the 1950s. So, you know, a profession that was 20 something years old in the United States. I was able to uh, 
get my master's after graduation, uh, went to NYU. Um, my training in music therapy was mainly related to psychotherapeutic applications of music in, in clinical, uh, clinical therapies. But my first internship, my clinical placement was at a nursing home, a skilled nursing facility where I was asked to play music on a ward, back then a ward of people with end stages of dementia. And when I went to this unit, I was faced with people who were, um, had feeding tubes and had their hands tied in mitts, tied to their wheelchairs. Um, half of them were screaming and, and crying and the other half were catatonic and over-medicated. And I was asked to play by the supervisor to play music to sort of change the atmosphere of the room. I was told by the nurses that the people there had no brains left, so it didn't matter what I did. And that basically all they did was feed and water them. But here I am training to be a music therapist. I know that music affects people very deeply. And so I started to sing a song and it happened to be, let me call you sweetheart. And the people who were catatonic opened their eyes and the people who were screaming and rattling their chair with their bound hands um, stopped and half of them started singing the words to this song. And I'm looking at them, I'm looking at them. I kept singing and kept going and went to each one individually and realize they, you know, here I'm, I had studied science and know that in order for somebody to even process sound, you know, sound is just vibration in the air. There has to be a level of cognition and auditory processing available to these people. This was 1978, 1977. Um, and I was, I was hooked. Uh, not only did I want to know about why music affected them so deeply and so profoundly, um, but I needed to tell people that these people were still there, that there was a, still a person there who could be reached and touched and engaged and have a life. And so that's that's what started me on this journey. And um, just two years when I graduated and, and received my master's degree, I found a full-time position as a music therapist at Beth Abraham Hospital, which just happened to be where the awakenings, if anybody knows the work of Dr. Oliver Sacks, that's where awakenings took place. And here I am fully excited about my two years experience working with people with end stages of dementia and bringing them literally back to life. And a doctor who um, was very shy, uh, who had just written a book about his patient's awakening, people also who were frozen and unresponsive and, and written off who would come to life when music was played and literally dance out of their chairs. And we realized that both of us had witnessed something that people just don't understand. And so for the next 35, 37 years, we worked together and tried to help um, learn not only about music in the brain, but also um, share these very deep, full life experiences of people who were otherwise compromised. And so that's actually what led to the founding of the Institute because the board of directors realized that we were onto something. I had then become president of the American Music Therapy Association in 1988. 
and brought Dr. Sachs with me to conferences so he could speak about his experiences, you know, watching these uh, responses to music. And then the administration realized that, you know, we really were onto something and wanted to support us and then helped found the Institute for Music and Neurologic Function, which was the first, I believe, institute to really bring together neuroscientists and clinicians in what, a series that we started called Dialogues Across Disciplines. And this was back in 1993 to start the conversation about what do we know about music in the brain and how can we use that knowledge to help people. So the word that keeps coming up in what you've said is therapy. Music, from what I understand from your point of view or your experience, is, is not just a way to fill the background, but it's actually a way to help bring about positive change in, in the actual um, health, the mental health of patients. Is that correct? Right, so David, that's exactly, that's exactly correct. And I think that's what changed the paradigm about how music was seen in music therapy, because uh, what I realized, and, and, and Dr. Sachs obviously was observing this and realized too, was that when I, when I was using music clinically, say with somebody who had a stroke and couldn't speak, if I used a certain type of phrase, uh, phrase embedded with a melody or a certain rhythmic pattern of speech and use that consistently with that patient, not only were they able to repeat, many times people can repeat things, but then it doesn't carry over to a normative speech. People that I was working with started speaking again. And so we realized that there was the ability through this music applications to help people regain speech. Um, people who, we know that Alzheimer's disease, that people, once they're diagnosed, you can't cure it. But I had patients um, who could learn new material, who could learn names, who could learn words to songs, who could, um, increase their attention and increase their awareness of other people. If something was engaging, what music does, and what we know now, because there's so many neuroscientists studying this, it's just amazing, that the auditory system engages every single part of the brain and it provides a template for understanding um, patterns of sound, patterns of movement, it actually helps organize movement and, and attention in ways that sometimes a person with traumatic brain injury can't do for themselves. So we can help people who've lost function because of a, a, some kind of brain injury or disease um, through music, through a purposeful use of, of sound and rhythm and time um, or the emotional connections uh, to familiar songs, things that connect to them on a more, you know, a deeper personal level to help them either uh, maintain function, um, regain function, um, or just maintain connections to other people. All of that's possible through music. It's um, not just, definitely not just for the background um, at all. Uh, so is it, is it your experience and, and your impression and that this is a something that is uniquely related to music. Um, does playing video games, for example, achieve a similar result? Or uh, 
and going for a swim or writing poetry or anything so, else? Is it just music? So, so all of those are incredibly therapeutic and anything that engages the mind and creativity has, um, has a preservative effect in brain development, you know, the, the more you use and the more creative you are, the more networks get formed in the brain and the more resilient your brain function becomes. Where music is different, at least in the context of music therapy, is that given the person's challenges um, and their life ex lived experience with music, a music therapist is able to then adapt and tweak how the, how um, to cue a response or how to engage the person in such a way that they couldn't do that on their own. So because of these connections, for example, in motor function, we know that um, people with Parkinson sometimes freeze or sometimes have a shuffling gait. Well, there's a direct connection between the auditory system and, and several areas of motor function. And just by having a very strong beat external you know, to the person, we can help that person walk in very successfully without stumbling, without shuffling, just through stimulating and sort of turning on these subcortical circuits in the brain. And that's already been studied um, for many years now. Um, we also know that the music, familiar music can help somebody with dementia connect to memories and, and connections to other people through those associations. You know, in the early stages, what music can do is work pretty much like a memory tool. So you think about commercial, you know, jingles where a telephone number is put to a, a melody so people don't forget the, the phone number. Well, com, you know, commercial uh, composers have been doing this for years. It's how we remember certain slogans and things like that. Well, somebody in their early diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's or memory you know, challenges can use these techniques to help them keep important information um, salient and, and available to them for a longer period of time. Is it a particular type of music that is more effective than another type? Like, is jazz or rock better than yeah. classical? Or sure. no, you know, it's it's interesting. It depends on the person and how it's being used. So, for example, you wouldn't want to do improvisation if you were helping wanting somebody to walk. You know, you want want to have something that doesn't have a, a steady beat. Um, but if the person um, if you wanted to have the person be freely expressive in a more verbal or vocal way, you might do a jazz improvisation. Um, if you're trying to connect to a person's sense of self and, and connections, then it's usually the music that they were most connected with and had formed relationships with. And so in that case, it's very specific to genres and, and types of music. Um, but again, depends on the use. You know, it's interesting because uh, one of uh, some of the recent research in music and development in young children is, is that children who are language delayed actually have poor rhythm perception. And so we see early on that there's a strong connection to rhythm processing, pattern processing and language. And as a person gets older, as they start, start 
to lose the ability to hear or things don't sound clear or they can't make sense of it, it's still the rhythm in speech that helps them understand the context or the importance of those phrases. So all of these aspects of sound and music we can use in, in ways to help people. Did the pandemic have an effect on uh, the path of your career recently? <laughs> yeah, it, um, well, it, it, it had negative and, and positive effects. The negative effects is that all the clinical services that we provide was stopped because we couldn't see pe um, people in person and also um, couldn't do our community-based programs of which we have a few. Um, but what we, we did find is that we could do virtual programs. And as we started to publicize them, we were able to reach people all over the country and some internationally that we didn't even know um, were there. So, so I think we found ways of using technology to bring these aspects of music therapy to a broader audience that wouldn't have been possible if COVID never happened. And I think the technology and platforms like Zoom and, and uh, Facebook Live actually improved over time, over the past two years to make it more usable and more accessible. And I think people, um, seniors, I know people who are you know advanced in age who um, are using technology more than they did pre-COVID. And so I think the ability to connect and the need to connect and the need to have um, community is important no matter where you are. And what technology allows is for people who are isolated, whether it's because of COVID or if it's because of their disability that they're not able to get out, that technology allows for community, which is essential for people's mental well-being, is to be connected to others. And that's one of the things we learned post-COVID is that we had this opportunity to connect and share and be creative together. That's great. Uh, so your career appears mostly to have been focused on um, <clears throat> therapies for persons with, um, <clears throat> with degenerative mental diseases. Have you had any involvement at all in research and developmental um, abilities? Sure. So not research per se, but uh, as, as far as actually studying the phenomena, but definitely research in trying to understand um, how music can help children who are um, language delayed or children with motor disabilities. I've done clinical work with children who have seizure disorders, for example. So we've the Institute is really interested with people across the lifespan um, and understanding how music can help the, help improve function in no matter what the age group is. But my personal work has mainly been, my research has mainly been with adults with neurodegenerative diseases. Do you notice a difference among those of your elderly patients who have had music training in their youth versus those who have not? Yes, um, it's interesting because, and, and there's some re interesting research coming out out of Northwestern and some of these other institutes that people who've played an instrument or people who've, you know, and have played an instrument for a very long period of time actually have um, better, I won't say they, they recover function because it depends on whether if 
whether they had a stroke. So stroke is a little bit different, but if they have a cognitive problem, um, being able to, usually they could still play their instrument for a longer period of time. And those skills that are very well stored and, and you know, um, habituated and literally the almost motor memory and, and cognitive memory of how to do something is so well preserved that we can help that person continue to engage with their musical skills. Um, and that in itself is a, a preservative type of function that keeps somebody engaged and functioning at a higher level longer. So you don't see the, the more rapid decline that would otherwise happen if somebody has a neurocognitive deficit like Alzheimer's. So in uh, neurodegenerative cases, are you, um, is it your opinion that it is possible for persons with severe cases of dementia to actually learn new music and, and to learn maybe even playing new in, uh, instruments they haven't played before? Yeah, um, they can definitely learn new songs. Um, and, and we've seen this, we actually did studies where we worked with a group of, of groups of people in skilled mm -hmm. nursing who it had mid to late stage dementia who learned a new song, all the words to a, a brand new song after several months of being engaged in the program. So we know that's possible. Um, learning an instrument depends on, on what that means. People, uh, it's hard for most people to learn a new instrument and, and learn the nuances in it. To make music is a skill that everybody can have if the instruments are, are presented in such a way that the person can't make a mistake. And so it's a, it's a technique that, you know, um, Kidali and Montessori and all these types of early childhood music programs sort of took advantage of is using very beautifully sounding acoustic instruments that have tonal, that where you can adapt the, the chords and the tones. So when people play together, it's harmonious. Um, and so we use a lot of beautifully sounding acoustic instruments. So you won't be able to see this on the podcast, but I'll play one, for example. This is a happy drum. This is a slot drum, and oh. so we have tonal instruments that allow somebody to be incredibly creative. And the music therapist, you know, music therapists are trained to take to create an environment that um, supports somebody's self-expression. And so when people make music and it sounds good, um, they definitely are musicians. And so I think they, they feel encouraged and um, yeah, encouraged to keep going and to participate. Now, if they played an instrument before, making, you know, creating the, um, the notes that they're gonna play or how they play in an ensemble, uh, facilitating that so everybody sounds great is, is uh, something that can be done as well. And then with technology, I mean, there's so many things we could do with digital technologies. Um, and we've done that. I've, we used to have a band in, in our other facility of people who basically quadriplegic and um, couldn't move their hands or feet, um, but could move, you know, couldn't move their fingers, but could move like a, a part of their body. And we had certain types of switches that would allow them to interface either play drums or different musical sounds and actually jam and play music together. 
And when somebody has no way of connecting to another person or sharing with another person, here they are able to, you know, rock out in the band. It's, it's pretty uh, encouraging and, and um, self-affirming. And the shock to the staff, because usually the staff <laughs> don't ever think these people, you know, unfortunately, um, don't think people have the gifts that they have. And I think one of the things we do is try to bring those gifts and encourage them as much as possible. Are you familiar with the um, video game Guitar Hero? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That seems like it would be a very good way to, to get people started. You know, um, something that shows you exactly which keys or notes or strings you're supposed to play at a given moment yeah that um, things like that something like that that maybe with that would be designed for a keyboard yeah. for example could teach one someone to play simple tunes on a piano sure you know that, that that actually has been done yamaha um has created these wonderful uh keyboard programs where the lights turn on for each mm -hmm. note and it could be in fact i have one of those keyboards right next to my desk where you can connect your iPad to it and it can teach you to play your favorite song. So you'll not have to great. worry about, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. You could put it in something a little bit more sophisticated and actually learn what the notes are and follow along. And there's been studies actually done with seniors learning to play um, the piano and, you know, later on in life who actually do learn. And um, I, the person who had studied this actually shown, you know, re reduction in stress levels and other health benefits too. So as long as a person is willing and uh, can be engaged, it's ama amazing how many things can be learned and the benefit of that. One of the things we also know is that engaging in music um, engages attention and focus one of the challenges with neurocognitive deficits like Alzheimer's and, and dementia is that it's hard for the person to attend long enough to actually learn and process information, but music inherently holds attention and therefore engages that person's brain, literally, um, for an extended period of time. And it's that extended period of engagement that allows for these residual um, function and arousal to take place that then leads to benefit outside of the music. Well, that's really all the questions I had. Is there anything I should have asked that I didn't? Um, no, other than people should be encouraged um, to, to see if there's music therapists in the area, to see if there's music programs in the area that they can participate in. I know that there's a big effort now um, in the United States to really Advocate for arts and healthcare. It's something that everybody should have access to. There's been wonderful studies, you know, looking at stress reduction and just general health for anybody of any age of participating in these programs and finding where they are and, and connect to other people. Uh, <clears throat> Katie, did you have any questions that I didn't think of? Uh, yeah, I was curious, have you found that within these populations that you work with, there are individual differences or maybe factors that can impact how susceptible a patient is to music psychotherapy? You know, we talked about music background, but I'm, I'm curious about maybe cultural background or education level. Do these play a role in the efficacy of these interventions? Sure. So um, different from, from music psychotherapy, because depending on the person, obviously, uh, and music therapists do both music psychotherapy as well as the more 
prescriptive uses of music, some of which I was speaking about. Um, but the person's lived experience um, definitely influences how they're going to benefit from music therapy. There's also some um, sort of warnings that people should know about because uh, certain types of neurologic problems can actually make music contraindicated. So for example, um, you know, somebody has frontal temporal dementia, they're not gonna hear music as, as nice tones. They're gonna hear it as noise or static or um, yeah, something that's very painful. And so uh, I think people have to be aware of that. Um, if somebody has this certain types of dyskinesias and movement disorders that actually get, can get triggered and um, disturbed by auditory, by certain types of rhythm. So if somebody has, um, yeah, dyskinesias, some kind of uh, chorea type spasm type muscle problem, uh, certain strong rhythms can actually exacerbate that and, and make it uncomfortable for the person. So these are all things they have to be aware. I think you were also talking about whether physicians and other people should be um, more aware of the potentials of these, uh, because we do get referrals from doctors and, and psychiatrists, and they should be aware of the benefits of music therapy for their clients so they can make those referrals appropriately. Mm. Dr. Tomeno, I have a question too. This has been amazing. Tell me, we speak about the memory storage cells that seem to uh, be tougher than some of the other cells in our nervous systems. And that's why these memory storage cells or music storage cells, to be more exact, that they seem to be of a different makeup. I don't. I've never heard that. Um, when when there's there's networks in the brain um, that speak to each other, they help us retrieve information. You know, pattern and everything. I believe is related to patterns and pattern storage. And so when you when we remember something, or really sort of reconstructing, we consolidating tidbits of things that then make it a whole memory. Um, when somebody listens to music, what happens is there are multiple elements of memory that are in, ingrained in that song, that piece of music. And it's it's almost like um, the best example I can give is, is name that tune. So if you're given 20 notes, you could probably guess it without a problem, right? But if you're only given one note, you probably can't remember it, right? So people with Alzheimer's are like the ones always getting the one note and they can't recall information. But if they're given multiple cues and it's stimulating multiple areas of the brain that then consolidate to sort of say, well, here's a cue about how I feel about that song. Here's a cue I think it's happened was when I was a kid. Um, I remember listening to that song with John and we used to date. So all of those things then consolidate and reinforce or enable that memory to come to the surface for that person. So it's almost like you're giving multiple multiple cues that then recruit information processing systems that are still available to the individual. 
interesting um, because I I did read recently that some of these music memory storage cells are in areas of the brain that are more protected. Yeah, and and did they say cells, like actual cells? Because there is an area of the medial medial prefrontal cortex in the brain that consolidates, that sort of gets excited when all these elements of a familiar song are present. So I think maybe it's, they're talking about more about areas of consolidation. Maybe that's the issue. Yeah. I, what I had gleaned from what I was reading that they, that these memory storage cells were hardier. Yeah. And, and, but it sounds like the multiple cues add up to the memory and, and they're, waiting for those multiple cues to be uh, acted. Right. Fascinating. Yeah, and there's other aspects. You know, there's so many um, areas that don't require the person to actually think um, or, or identify the music, you know, from a higher cognitive level. Um, so if those areas are damaged, these other areas of processing is still available. Mm-hmm. I just know that speaking for myself, I have heard songs that I haven't heard for 40 years that, that I, and I can just suddenly remember all the words to that song. And it's like, how did I do that? Exactly, exactly. It's there. It's, it's amazing how the capacity that we have for memory and how much is stored. And being a senior, and recently acquiring hearing aids uh, and hearing from you again, how important the auditory aspect is of our lives. Um, Do you think that people with hearing deficits may succumb to dementia more than others that have no? I'm, I'm pretty sure there's been research to that. Yeah, as 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 soon as as soon as people have problems um, processing information in in their environment, whether it's verbal information or visual information, there could be a breakdown of of cognition. But there's ways of engaging people to make sure that doesn't happen. So it's just if somebody is again isolated and not engaged in something that challenges their mind to stay active. And my uh, 15-year-long journey with my Owen suffering with Parkinson's and dementia, in his uh, waning uh, days of his life, in bed, aphasic, certainly not walking, I would go in in the morning with my shakers and I would start to jam and sing the dancing queen, and he would not have even clearly woken up yet. And that was my good morning, my darling. Mm. Up would come the hands under the sheets to the beat of the song. Up would come the knees even higher than the hands. And truly on his deathbed, he and I were dancing. And that was the language yep. that in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. So your work is so profound. Oh, thank you. Here are the tears. 
and what a legacy you have left for all of us. Thank you. My goodness, such important information you gleaned so long ago. You were talking about 1992, 1994. I mean, that's a lifetime that you have had this information that I know you are sharing with the world. And, and, And thank you for your powerful work and the gift that you give to the world. Thank you. I, uh, we still have a challenge, and that's to make music accessible and to everybody and, and to recognize how the arts um, should be part of healthcare and wellness, and we shouldn't take it for granted at all. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sure. your name. Know how busy you are. Um, David, you have something to say, Katie, you have something to say, but I'm done and deeply grateful. Sure, thank you, thank you all. Thank you so much. I just wanna reiterate what a beautiful interview and thank you for sharing your findings with us. We can't wait to hear more about your amazing work in the future and thank you to our listeners for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about Music Men's Minds, please visit our website at www.musicmensminds.org If you didn't know, Music Men's Minds is a nonprofit organization based in West Los Angeles, serving seniors with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia, PTSD, stroke, and traumatic brain injuries by using music to bring these seniors healing and joy. If this is a cause that you would like to support, please consider donating to Music Men's Minds. We accept donations through our website. Thank you again to Dr. Tomeno for joining us today, and we will see you next time.